Hey, this is Pastor Ellie, one of the lead pastors of Bold Church. I wanted to say thank you for joining us today. If you want to stay up to date on everything that's happening at Bold Church, want to live stream a service, or find out when our next gathering is, head over to bold.church. Enjoy the message. There are people in our city that deal drugs. I want to deal hope today. Is that okay? I want to deal some, th- something that maybe some of you, this is a difficult season, because this is the first season where you don't have a job this Christmas. Maybe this is a season where you don't have a loved one sitting at the dinner table this season. Maybe this is a season where you don't have that bay next to you. And I want to give you hope, no matter what you're going through, God has your back, amen? Matthew chapter 1, starting at verse 18, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged some translations say betrothed. So you got to understand, in this culture, you got married, and then you didn't have sex for a year. Why? Because the dude left town, not because he had a side chick. Because he would go build a home, and that's when he was ready to bring her home. Listen, ladies, if he's living with his mom, he ain't ready. He ain't ready. So in that culture, listen... You got married, but you didn't consummate the marriage until a year later. So he, they were pledged, but in that culture, you were technically married to Joseph. They are not engaged the way we would describe in our culture. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, watch how it says the husband was faithful. Someone say faithful. To the law, yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, Considered, who was she knocking boots with? Who slid into her DMs and got behind my back? He appeared to her, but after, this, after he had considered this, he had in mind to divorce her quietly, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is not from another dude, but is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Anybody thankful for Jesus? Come on. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said to the prophet, and that prophet is named Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus was born. He prophesied, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, what a dream, amen? When he woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage. Now, there are some of you in this room that you are Catholic and you believe in the perpetual virginity of Mary. I feel sorry for you because that didn't happen. Let me tell you, Joseph definitely, definitely consummated the marriage after Mary gave birth. He did not consummate the marriage until that does not mean he never, he just waited until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. I got a sermon I want to preach to you today, and it's going to make sense as I preach it. It's titled simply this, It's Not What It Looks Like. It's not. Some of you are coming to this room, and maybe you are weary of Christians, or you are weary of church. Let me just tell you, it's not what it looks like. If you are bold enough, just turn to your neighbor and say, it's not what it looks like. And now you, I got to tell you, you abandon the person to your other side. Can you tell them too? It's, it's, not, it's not what it looks like. Let me just pray real quick. Because I made all the introverts in the room uncomfortable and that's okay. Helping you grow a little bit. You're welcome. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for this word. God, thank you for your word that's active and living and alive and sharper than any double-edged sword, God. 
God, you love us so much. Not only did you die on the cross for us, you gave us your word to reveal your character and your nature, Jesus. There is one hero in the scripture, and it ain't Mary, it ain't Joseph, it is you, Jesus. And I pray that you would be lifted up in our eyes today, that we wouldn't be afraid of, we wouldn't be ashamed, we would bring all of our pain to you, God, and you would do what you only you can do, give us hope in hopeless situations. And if you believe that our tribe has a vibe, everybody said, everybody said, can we just give up for Jesus this morning? Uh, my wife and I, we have this game that we play every year. And the goal of the game is to give the other person the best present. And every year, I play this game, and unfortunately, she doesn't want to participate. So I am, by definition, we celebrate our 10-year anniversary in September. I'm a nine-time champion in a game that my wife does not want to participate in. And let me tell you how significant that is. I don't want to pass over greatness for a moment. Let me just tell you. In 1999, John Elway won back-to-back championships. He rode into the, the retirement with two championships. They called him the GOAT. Kobe Bryant. And Shaq won, they won three in a row, the last NBA champion to do so. I hate the Lakers, but I got to give them props because even the Warriors didn't do that. Three-time champion. Michael Jordan, the GOAT, won six in a row. Lance Armstrong, seven times. And I'm here to announce your pastor is a nine-time champion. And part of the reason why it's so hard for my wife to win is not only that she's not participate. Listen, I'm a, I'm a grown man. I buy gifts for myself during the year. I'm not a 10-year-old where I have to wait for presents for my birthday or Christmas. I go to the mall on Saturday, bro. I'm going to wait till December. The problem, though, what I love about Christmas and what I don't like about Christmas, sometimes you get gifts you don't want. But the best part about Christmas, underneath the Christmas tree, there's presents. And even if you're awesome, better than your wife at giving gifts, by the way, there's still joy. There's still anticipation. There's still this awe and wonder. I wonder if this is the year where I won't be great anymore. Just kidding, by the way. But there are some of you in this room, let me just tell you, you don't understand the power and the purpose of giving gifts. You don't even wrap your gifts. You're weird. You just hand the person the gift. And we're grateful for you, but it's awkward. There are others of you, though. Let me just be very honest. You, you, you take all the fun out of Christmas. You give some of these gifts. Like, what is this? First off, let me just tell you, you have no business giving kitchen utensils for your spouse. Unless you're married to Martha Stewart, don't give kitchen utensils. Number two, listen. Number two, give me 15 seconds of joy. At least put it in a box so that I can have some hope before you break my heart with that gift. <laughs> then there are others of you, you don't even try. You just like, you just come out all functional. <laughs> what? And the point I'm trying to make is there are things in life where you know what it is because you can just tell by looking at it. And there are other things in life, it is not what it looks like. I remember the first time I was seven years old, I got one of these, and it was underneath the Christmas tree. And when you're seven, listen, all your relatives, they give you two kinds of gifts. They give you one of the round gifts where it's squishy, means it's socks, underwears, and pajamas. You don't want those gifts. You pray before you know Jesus that they, those relatives get diarrhea, amen? But the good ones, the ones you call on Thanksgiving and Christmas, they give you a box, and you can shake it, and you kind of know, you can prophesy over that gift. It'll be exactly what you want.
But when you're seven, you have no clue what this is. I remember when I was seven, I still remember my Christmas tree in my home. My, my parents had this brown, shaggy carpet. We had this nasty, disgusting, fake Christmas tree with a million different color lights on it. And all the presents, and there was this envelope, and I refused to open it that year. And my mom's like, nudge me. I think you want to open that gift. I'm like, I think I don't. Right? Like, my uncle gave me this, and it went from pajamas to words. Thank you, fam. I don't want it. And I remember even being disappointed when I opened it up, and there was a card. I'm like, Mom, what is this? She's like, just open it. And when I did, oh, my God, a hundred. And if you know anything about Persian people, they, like, iron their money before they give it to you. It's crisper than it is at the bank. A hundred dollars to a seven-year-old. Let me tell you, that's like a million dollars to us today. I was so excited because what looked ugly on the outside is not what it was on the inside. Listen, it's not what it looks like. I'm trying to point out to you the theme of my sermon, that there are things that God wants to give you that do not look good. And you will reject them simply by the packaging they come in. And I'm not trying to imply that there are some things in life, listen, they are exactly what they look like. Some of you ladies, you are dating a chair. And you're like, no, Pastor Ali, so what if he lives with his mom? So what if he's awesome at video games? He's an entrepreneur. <laughs> Honey, he's a chair. Move on. Everybody sees what that is except for you. Some of you guys in this room, the only thing you can use to describe your girl is how hot she is. It's like, bro, are you dating a person or a utensil? Because people are people to be loved, not people to be used. And if you don't do it God's way, listen, you will burn yourself. And the point I'm trying to make is this. There are things in life that do not look like what they're supposed to be. It's not what it looks like. And there are things that God wants to give you. God wants to give you Jesus. And God wants to give you the church. And many of you in this room who are new to church, you are rejecting God because it's not what it looks like. Someone shout, it's not what it looks like. Which leads us to the story of Joseph. Matthew chapter 1, verse 19 says, Because Joseph, somebody shout, Joseph. Her husband was faithful to the law. I love that when God surveyed the land, who's going to raise my son? He didn't go to the palace. He didn't go to Instagram and see who has the most followers. He didn't go to the best looking. He chose faithful people, not wealthy people. He didn't chose those with privilege or acumen, the ones with the best car, the best six-pack. God is looking for people. Listen, it doesn't matter who your parents are. It doesn't matter where your family comes from. He's looking for what's in your heart, not what's outside of it. And God chose Joseph, not because his parents were awesome, but because he was. I'm trying to encourage some people in this room that you came from a broken home and you wonder, God can never use me. Yes, he can. Because Joseph was a faithful to the law, and yet, someone say yet, yet. did not want to expose her to public disgrace. I wonder how many of you would be cheated on by your spouse and would not want to publicly call her out. Joseph was such a man of honor, even when he was violated, even when he was rejected, even when he was disrespected, he still had enough character to say, I'm, I ain't going to shame her. I'm not going to do in public what she did to me. I'm going to do it privately. Because he had in mind to divorce her quietly. I find it so interesting that in the very first time Joseph hears about Jesus, he feels disgrace. 
the very first time he hears about our Lord and Savior, he has shame. And there are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And every time it's mentioned, it's only in two of the Gospels, Matthew and Luke, the story of Jesus when he shows up, you would think there'd be celebration. You'd think there'd be joy. The way that we're singing out loud, celebrating who Jesus is, the very first time Joseph hears about Jesus, he has shame. And I think as a pastor, after 2,000 years, not much has changed. Because this room is full of single moms who's got shame. This room is full of divorcees who've got shame. This room is full of men like Joseph who have a private, secret sin. They don't want anyone to know, and they got shame. And I want to tell you, it's not what it looks like. Jesus did not come to, to expose your secret sin. Jesus did not come to shame you. He didn't come to expose you. He, he came for different reasons. And I think many times when we come to church, especially during the holidays, we're invited by a relative, maybe an aunt or, or a neighbor, like, yes, okay, I'll, I'll come to church. And we come into a room like this full of God, full of godly people, and there's immediate, it just conjures up feelings of shame. I don't, I don't measure up to these people. I'm, I'm not like them. I want to tell you, it's not what it looks like. It's not what it looks like. Watch what happens in Matthew chapter 1, verse 20. But after he had considered this, this is Joseph considering his, his girl cheating on him, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Someone say afraid. afraid. Notice da- Joseph is not just feeling shame. He's feeling fear. Over Jesus, by the way. What feelings do you feel when I say the name Jesus? Joseph had fear and shame to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her, it's not what it looks like, is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people. Jesus did not come to shame you. He did not come to give you fear. I wrote it like this. Jesus did not come to shame you. He came to save you. Anybody thankful for Jesus this morning? Some of you in this room, you are afraid of coming to church because those people are holier than thou. I don't live the way that they live. I don't do the things that they do. Listen, Jesus didn't come to shame you. He came to save you. And there are some of you in this room, you have what, what our culture calls quiet quitting. In our culture, we're, we're done with the job. We don't want it, so we still show up and get a paycheck. But some of you in this room, you're quiet quitting on church because you have made, been making choices that maybe you think disqualifies you from the Christmas story. You've been making decisions that you, you, God saved you out of those things and you've gone back to them and you think, no, 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 I can't come in here anymore. I came to tell you it's not your choice, your lifestyle, or the decisions that you make that disqualify you from the Christmas story. It's what enables the Christmas story. It's who we are. That's why he came. And uh, there are two times, one time during the year that my wife and I, we just have these family traditions. Anybody have family traditions that they created? Awesome. Two of you, the rest of you had broken homes. God, I'll pray for all of you. But in our home, we, we love to, during, especially right after Thanksgiving, every week we'll go to Starbucks, the girls will get hot chocolates, and we'll just drive around looking for lights, Christmas lights. Anybody love the Christmas season? Yes, I love, I, I love, if you don't love Christmas, check your pulse. You might be the Grinch, come on. But there's spiritual significance, I'm not sure if you know this, to Christmas lights. It's not just decorations. The lights represent principles and things that are coming out of the scriptures. Did you know that when Jesus was born, there was a star over the city of Bethlehem. God literally did something in the cosmos to tell the world, my son is coming. Amen. Lights were above there. And when the, 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 the shepherds were outside of Jerusalem doing what shepherds do, I don't know what they're doing. They're out there. 
No iPhone. No, I don't know what in the world they're doing. The angels showed up and announced the birth of Savior, and lights were there. Lights are significant. Why? Because in John chapter 11, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Amen? And did you know this is going to scare some of you? We actually don't know the day Jesus was born. <gasps> we think it's just January, December 25th, but it's actually not. Because the scriptures don't actually tell us the date, and the date was lost in church history. So why do we choose December 25th? Because the early Christians, they wanted to convey the message that Jesus is the light of the world to a culture that wants to reject him. Because it's not what it looks like. So they chose the date closest, listen, to the winter solstice. The winter solstice, if you don't know this, is the darkest day of the year. And the message of Jesus is that the, the light of the world comes to us in our darkness, in our depression, in our brokenness. Anybody have hope in Jesus? Come on. And what I love about the, the winter solstice is every day after it gets brighter and brighter. With Jesus, every day gets brighter and brighter. But let me show you this one neighborhood my wife and I go to every year. It is ridiculous. It's in San Carlos. Let me show you this first image. Look at that. What is the electric bill on that house? Listen, I had to spend an hour just along the gutters of my house. This is like four days of work. Look at this next picture. This is insane. I don't even see the house. Is that a house or a forest of lights? Is this a neighborhood or Disneyland? What? And my wife has a video. I want to show you this video. This is crazy. Look at this. You can see this from outer space, by the way. And the question I always ask whenever I show these kinds of images, Pastor Ali, if you were to light up your house, if you were to do something like this, what would your house look like? This next image shows what I would do. Ditto. <laughs> Ditto. And let that other guy do all the hard work. Ditto. Ditto. And imagine for a moment on that street, Eucalyptus Street, there's not just one house, it's literally 10 houses back to back to back. And every like maybe five houses, there's one dude who's the Grinch who doesn't do anything. Right? It's like, leave me alone. I'm the Grinch. And he doesn't want to do anything. And imagine you live in that house. And you don't interpret what is going on properly. You think my neighbor's evil. My neighbor's trying to annoy me. He's trying to bob. He's putting up these lights because he doesn't want me to sleep. It's like, no, 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 bro. It's not like that. We're putting up lights for the hope of Jesus. We're putting up lights to give people jolly cheer. And if you don't understand the packaging, it's not what it looks like. See, some of you will come to church and you will feel the light of God. And you think he's trying to highlight your mental health, you highlight your financial situation, or highlight your broken marriage or your addiction. And I wrote it like this, God's light isn't there to highlight the darkness. God's light there is because it is dark. He's not trying to call you out. He's not trying to shame you. He came to save you. And the light is an evidence that we need him, not that we should run from him. And so many Christians, I can't tell you how many, the very thing you should be running to, which is God, by the way, is the very thing we run from. And if I can prophetically declare over some of you, if you just brought the thing that shames you, the thing that you're embarrassed about, and you were to just bring it to God and confess it, he would redeem it, and you'd be bragging about it. How do I know this? Because this, that exact thing happened in Joseph's life. What's so interesting about the scripture is that we don't know much about Joseph. We see him at Jesus' birth. 
We see him when the Magi come, when Jesus, some theologians say he's two or three years old. He was not there at the birth, by the way. He was nursing, so Jesus was probably walking around, and these dudes bringing gold and myrrh and incense to Jesus. And we see Jesus and Joseph when Jesus was 12 years old at church debating theologians and winning. And imagine, the the Bible doesn't say this, but I can just imagine Joseph's heart, because I'm a dad. The very first time I watched my my daughter play softball, I was cheering like she was LeBron James. I'm like, let's go. Neighborhoods were calling, coming out of the house. Like, who is this crazy person? Because that's what parents do. We have, we, we have joy in our children. I can just see Joseph cheering Jesus on as he's preaching. That's my boy. And I think it's so funny. The very person that gave you shame and now you have pride over. And I wonder if you were just bring the very thing you're afraid about to God and confess it, he can redeem it and you'd be bragging about it. Oh, yeah, yeah, I, I was addicted but God set me free. I, I, I was broken in my marriage, but he healed it. I want the very thing that you think God is shining this light on is the very thing he wants to heal. The very thing G- Joseph had shame over was the very thing he was bragging to God about. It's not what it looks like. It's not what it looks like. Matt, Luke chapter two shows this part. And there were shepherds. I love this part of the story. And there were shepherds living. Someone say living. They are literally like homeless people. I did a Google search. What are the three worst jobs in the Bay Area? Number one is waitress. If you're a waitress, I'm so sorry. You are abused verbally, financially, never taken care of. And your financial viability is dependent on the service and the tips that you get. Number two is telemarketer. If you're a telemarketer, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near just true I love when they call yes I'm so yes and I hang up (laughs) waitress telemarketer and number three they say janitor those are the three hardest the lowest of the totem pole do you know what the worst job in the first century was shepherds because you never came home you lived out in the field not only would you dirty you're often associated as being a thief and a liar, lowest in society. And I think it's so beautiful. Think about this, that when God comes and tells, he doesn't go to CNN, he doesn't go to Kim Kardashian, who has the most followers on Instagram, doesn't go to Selena Gomez, he goes to the lowest in society and goes, I came for you. The very thing that you think you shouldn't come to church, the, the very people that are the least liked, the least loved, I came for you. Why? Because Christianity, listen, it's not what it looks like. It's not what it's looked like. The shepherds were living out in the field nearby, keeping watch over their flock at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory, which is the light of God, of the Lord, shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. Somebody shout Messiah. Messiah, Messiah in our culture does not mean what it meant in, the, in, that sen- in that culture. Every Jew loved, longed, prayed for the Messiah to come. They were longing. They were anticipating the Messiah. Why? Because the Messiah was the King of kings, Lord of lords. He was this warrior that they were waiting for. This, this guy, like a mix of the gladiator and Rambo and I, I, you name the dude. Like, he's going to come save our people. He's going to eradicate sin, move Rome out, and save the Israelites. He's our warrior king, our mighty counselor. 
He's the Messiah. And imagine being the shepherds, the least loved, the least liked people in the culture, and the angel tells you the Messiah's here. Just imagine the imagery they have in their mind. What does the guy look like? Is he Arnold Schwarzenegger? Is he the undertaker? Who is this guy? Watch what happens in Luke chapter 2, verse 8. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby. What? How is this baby going to hold a sword? Does he have a gun? You're going to find a baby wrapped in cloths. Some translations say swaddling cloths. See, they didn't have huggies back then, by the way. This is the Bible's way of telling you the Messiah has diapers. How is he going to clean my life up if someone needs to clean him up? Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth and peace to those whom his favor rests. When the angel had left them and gone to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby. Someone say baby. Imagine the angel tells you the Messiah is here and you're anticipating this warrior king, this, this, this great Messiah who's going to save Israel. And you see this little six pound, eight ounce little baby Jesus in the manger. And how's this thing going to help me? This thing's little. It needs to be fed. It's totally dependent on other people. This thing is tiny. The, the language that I can create is that it's puny. But I wrote it like this. Jesus isn't puny. He's patient. Because the Christmas story, it's not what it looks like. It's not what it looks like. I love that the scriptures tell us that Jesus came as a baby. He did not come as a 33-year-old man. See, the Christmas story is not the day that Jesus came and died. It's the day that he came to be born. He could have come on Christmas Day, fully grown, grown man, and said, today I'm, I came, today I'm going to die. But he didn't. And it's not because he's weak, by the way. It's because he's patient. It's because he's patient. So there's this doctrine. It's going to be a little bit nerdy. It's called the doctrine, listen, of, let me make sure I have it pronounced correctly, identification. And I wrote it like this because no one's going to remember what that says. Christmas Day is not Salvation Day because Jesus didn't want the false expectation that transformation can happen overnight. He came and he lived for 33 more years because he doesn't want you to think he's going to change your life in one day. He can. He has the strength. But listen, he's patient. He's patient. Where do we get this doctrine from? It comes from Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. It's on the screen. Therefore, since we have a, a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firm to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in our time of need. Do you know why Jesus came to earth? Because he already had a perfect heavenly Father. He came to earth to live and experience an imperfect one so that when you pray to him, he knows what it's like to have a dad who doesn't love you. Do you know why Jesus was born as a child? When most of you in this room have childhood trauma, so that when you pray to him, he knows what it's like to have childhood trauma. Do you know how long Jesus lived? 33 years. He had friends from elementary school that stabbed him in the back when he became 30. So that when you go to him and say, God, this person, they had my back for years, and they walked away. Jesus goes, I had the same exact thing happen. Why? Because we have a great high priest who did not, who did not experience what we didn't experience. 
Listen, Christmas, it's not what it looks like. He ain't puny. He's patient. You know why Jesus had business partners who stole from him and he allowed it so that one day when you have a business partner that stabs you in the back, ruins the business, you can come crying to him and he goes, I can go. He can say to you, me too. Me too. And what I love about Jesus is when he's on the cross, the king of kings, the Messiah, they're mocking him. They're shouting him down, saying, what's up? If you're really the son of God, come down. Talking mad trash. Anybody here love talking trash? I'm, I think... I'm the king of this. For those of you watching online, yes, let me tell you, Ethan. Let me tell you exactly what I did two weeks ago. I, him and I made a bet. And privately, I texted his wife. I said, Sarah, I'm going to call him on Sunday night at 7 o'clock because if he doesn't answer, I need you to. Because I want to rip his heart out. Because that, that's the whole point of playing games. It's not having fun. It's winning. Second place is first loser. Listen, when Jesus was on the cross, he could have struck down everyone who was talking trash. I just got this image in my mind. I grew up with the Simpsons. Remember this one character, Mr. Burns, the bald guy, always doing this with his fingers, right? And when he get angry, he goes, Smithers, release the hounds. And these dogs would come out of like nowhere, and they would like rip these people apart. Jesus was on the cross, and he could have said, Father, release the hounds, because he was bleeding. He was naked. He had holes in his hands and his feet, but he didn't strike everyone down because he's weak, because he's patient. He said, give me three days, homie. I'm going to do something no one ever did. I'm going to bench something. I'm going to squat something. None of y'all can squat. I'm going to conquer sin, and none of y'all did that. I ain't weak. I'm patient. Anybody thankful for Jesus? So to explain this part of the sermon, I need to put this on. So my wife, she, she knows I don't know how to cook. I know how to barbecue. Any, any chefs in the room? Anyone love to bake? Anyone love to barbecue? Okay, okay. Anyone love to do both? Okay, very cool. I don't like baking. I love barbecuing. I thought this would work. It is not working. Let's pretend I put this on. So two, two Thanksgivings ago, my wife asked me to bake banana bread pudding. And some of you are like, Pastor Allie, you don't bake banana bread pudding. Listen, it felt like baking, and I identify as a baker. Leave me alone. And the way you make banana bread pudding is you make pudding, then you have a layer of whipped cream, then you have a bunch of Nilla wafers, then you have a bunch of banana slices, and then you have the best ingredient, whipped cream. And there's a secret ingredient that many of you don't know about. I had to tell me that when you make, make the pudding, you use condensed milk. And because I wanted to win this and everything I do, I want to be the best. I used ingredients I shouldn't have used. I doubled the amount of condensed milk you're supposed to put in pudding, thinking this is going to be amazing. Everyone's going to love this. Little did I know, I made soup. And in my panic, 
I'm, I'm trying to mix everything together. I'm panicking because it is not working. Listen, how many times do you know that you can have all the right ingredients, but if you don't do it God's way, it won't work? Listen, some of you, you may have a man, but are you doing it God's way? And the very thing that's supposed to bless you is going to curse you. Because you, you may have all the right ingredients, but are you, are you doing it with patience? Some of you rush the process of God. And the second thing I made a mistake in, I was supposed to put the pudding in the fridge. Oh! <laughs> Baking is so hard. I didn't. I immediately made it and started making layers. And there's a reason you're supposed to put the pudding in the fridge for 30 minutes. Why? Because it settles. There are some of you that are throwing yourself in leadership in the church and your character has not settled. And the weight of the bananas and wafers are going to weigh you down. Let me just be very honest. There was a two-year period where I wanted to help in the church, but because of my addiction to porn and alcohol, I simply couldn't. And it wasn't because God was puny. It's because he was patient. He was holding me back until something in my heart had settled. Some of you, God wants to use you, but he's got to put you in the fridge for a little bit before he pulls you out. Because our God, listen, he's a perfect chef. And he ain't puny. He's patient. Amen? It's the worst banana bread pudding. This is an actual image of my children who love candy, by the way. This is a video of them trying to taste. The... I'm like, is it good? They're like, yeah. That's literally what they look like. I wish we had audio because the mom's asking, has this? Oh, it's amazing. <laughs> That's what my kids were saying to me. That, it's okay. <laughs> the Christmas story, it's not what it looks like. God didn't come to shame you. He came to save you. Point number two is that God didn't come as a baby because he's puny, but because he's patient. You ready for number three? Matthew chapter 2, verse 13. When, someone say when, when. or this translation says after. Someone say after. after. After the wise men were gone. So this is after the birth of Jesus. This is after the baby has come. See, some of you are so focused on the wedding day, you forgot there's actual marriage, which is the real part. Some of you, the hardest part you think is, is giving birth. I know it's a little bit painful. I've heard it's the same as a headache for men. <laughs> but ask any parent here with teenagers. That's really when it gets hard. When it's daily pain, not just a pain with an epidural. Come on. After. After the wise men were gone. An angel of the Lord. I know some of you are being stirred up by the Holy Spirit. It's okay. That's what happens when preaching's happening. It's conviction of sin. An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up. Someone said, get up. Flee to Egypt. That's crazy to me. Because they had already spent 400 years in slavery. Why go back? And that's, if I can speak to the people that want to quiet Christianity, I've been praying for you all week. I have a massive heart for those who are far from God. I'm a natural evangelist. But God, for this message, gave me a heart for those that want to walk with God. But it feels like you've gone back to Egypt. And I want to prophetically declare, you went the first time and you got stuck. And God is prophesying over Joseph and Jesus. You're going to go there, but you ain't going to stay there. Watch what he says. Get up, flee to Egypt. Someone say to Egypt. Egypt. 
with the child and his mother. And the angel said, stay there until. Someone say until. Because I'm going to give you the power to come out. You didn't have the willpower last time. I'm going to give you my spirit this time. Because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. I wrote it like this. You're not going to go back. You're going to go through. For many of you, the reason why you're weary of coming to church is the very thing God saved you from. You've gone back to. And it feels like you're stuck in Egypt again. But it's different this time. You're a new creation. And the very thing that you couldn't do last time, God wants to show you, you have power now. I'm with you this time. You, you have a new heart, new desires. And where the flesh is weak, the spirit is strong. There are some of you in this room. You're letting your current season define your next one. God may, you may fall down. Listen, what the righteous man says in the book of Proverbs, falls down seven times, but he gets back up. I want to prophetically declare over some of you, it's time to get back up. God is calling you to greater things. He didn't come to shame you. You don't, you don't, sh- you don't clean up and then come to church. God is the shower. That's why he shed his blood on a cross, not for those who are good, but for the jacked up misfits, the shepherds that everyone thinks are trash. He came and died for us. The ones that no one thinks are good enough. God says, I love you. I want all the ones that are rejected by their parents, by culture. I want those guys. Because you're infinitely valuable in my eyes. And we go, but I'm in Egypt again, God. God goes, I'm bringing you out. And for this Christmas, I want to call and prophesy over some people. You're not in Egypt. You're coming out. Because the Spirit of God is going to bring you out. Amen. I want everyone to stand. I'm going to change it up a little bit. I just think there are two of you in this room, two types of people. There are some of you, do not give these gifts. Shame on you. Kidding, by the way. There are some of you in this room, when you walked in, you felt shame. You felt fear. If they know what I'm dealing with, if they see what I did last week, maybe even last night, and there's this fear, this apprehension that coming in a room like this because you think God's so holy you can't be near him or God's people are so much better than you. Listen, it ain't like that. Joseph had that. The first time he heard about Jesus, he had shame. But he opened the gift. He brought it into the light. And the thing that embarrassed him was the thing he was bragging about later on. I just want some of you in this room with every eye closed and every bowed. It's a moment for you. Just tell God, what are you dealing with? What have you been hiding? It's time to confess that sin. Bring it into the light. I know you feel shame. I know you feel embarrassed. But God has the power to redeem it. That's what he does. That's why he came. He wants to heal you. He wants to transform you. He wants to change your life. God, I pray for every person in this room that is dealing with some sin, 
some shame, some financial situation. Maybe it's a brokenness in their marriage. Maybe it's a brokenness in some addiction. God, maybe it's their family. Maybe, God, it is their relationship with their spouse or their relationship with their kids. Maybe it's their mental health, God, and they've been afraid to tell everyone they think, if anyone knows, I won't be loved. I'll be rejected. And like Joseph, you've been hiding this thing. I just pray over you right now that you would bring it out to the light. I also want to pray for another person. Those who are in Egypt right now, but you're a Christian. You're coming out today. By the power of the Holy Spirit, God wants to bring you out. You're not going to Egypt. You're going through Egypt. God, I pray, Lord, for every person who thinks they are unqualified because of the choices and decisions they make. They are never disqualified. They are the reason for the season. Our sin, God, is why you came. We can never be good enough to be in your presence. God, thank you for the righteousness that comes as a gift through who Jesus is. This room is not filled with good people, but forgiven people, Lord. Remind them of that truth, that even though I fall down, I'm going to get back up because of what Jesus did on the cross for me. As long as I got breath in my lungs, that means he's still got purpose in my life. And there are others of you in this room, let me tell you the, the, the gospel. God, 2,000 years ago, came as a man, not to shame, not to kill you, but to save you. And he lived a sinless and perfect life. That's so amazing. He did what you and I couldn't do. And then he, he didn't die because they took his life. He laid it down. Not because he's puny. Because he wanted to die for sin. And if you want salvation, you have to place your trust, your faith in what Jesus did on a cross for you. How do I do that, Pastor Ali? Simply believe. With every eye closed and every head bowed. For some of you, this is a moment of salvation. Today's the day, maybe the first time or the first time in a very, very long time. You want to give your life to Jesus. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I want to count to three in a moment. I want you to shoot your hand up if that's you today. One, two, you're not saying yes to me. You're saying yes to Jesus, the living God. It's not what it looks like. This will be the best decision of your life. One, two, three. Shoot your hand up. That's you this morning. Just shoot your hand up. Amen. Amen. Pray this prayer out loud. Thank you, Jesus, for leaving heaven for me. Thank you, God, that you lived the life I couldn't live. And that you died the death I was supposed to die. I repent, Jesus. I turn from my sin. I accept your free gift of salvation, life, and a second chance. As much as I understand now, I want to follow you. I want to obey you. I want to love you, Jesus. Come and fill me with your spirit, Lord. And everybody said, amen. For those of you that maybe didn't know this. We, we have been preparing for you all week. There's one baptism that is planned today. I, I'm just prophetically declaring there are some of you that came to church. And you're like, I, I want to get baptized, but I didn't bring clothes. Listen, we already came prepared for you. And there will be a gentleman in the back of the room holding a sign. If you feel that nudge, that, that unction, today's the day. I know you may feel like, I'm in Egypt, pastor. No, 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 today's the day you're going to go in the water and say, I'm coming through Egypt. 
I just want to declare prophetically, today's the day you're going public. Baptism doesn't save you. Your faith does. This declares to everyone, I'm forgiven. I just want to pray prophetically to everyone in this room. God, I just believe by faith there are men and women in this room, God, that want to go public with their faith. I pray against that spirit of fear, that spirit of shame that says you're not worthy. Yes, the blood qualifies me. I have the righteousness of Christ. I'm not in Egypt. I'm going through Egypt. If you believe that, somebody said, amen. Hey, thank you again for listening to today's message. If you found today's sermon encouraging, inspiring, would you consider subscribing to this podcast? That way you won't miss the next word that's coming. See you next time.